I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Now, my guest today is Kim Pullman, co-founder and chair of Reboot the Future, the foundation aimed at transforming how people connect to themselves, each other, and the planet. Its work is powered by one key golden rule, and that is to treat others and the planet as you would wish to be treated. Kim describes this call to action as the only universal principle the world shares and uses it as a roadmap for the conversations and campaigns that will lead to a more sustainable world. Kim, welcome to Changemakers. Oh, well, thank you so much, Michael. I'm greatly honored to be here. Oh, well, I'm thrilled to have you on the show. You and I, we, we were talking just off air. You and I met, met some years ago, and and of course, the world was a very different place, but I guess the world was then and now influenced by a golden rule. So why don't we start with that with that idea in terms of your thoughts, your ideas, and, and I guess what that offers people for the future? Well, I think that if more people had been living the golden rule, we maybe wouldn't be in the big pickle that we're in right now. That's for sure. The golden rule is such an amazing principle. It's so simple, but yet there's it's very, very profound, uh, simple to, to remember and understand. I think it's something that we probably all hear as children from our, our mothers or our fathers. You know, how many times were we told as children not to hit someone because we don't like to be hit? Mm. So, uh, but then we forget about it and mothers stop telling, talking about it. And so, but, but it is really a, a basic very basic universal principle that is deeply historical. It's all around the world. In fact, it's in is the, at the root of all religions. In, in fact, it is really the core of being human. In fact, it's the core of being a mammal. <laughs> I've, been, I've been reading a lot of books about animals, and uh, there's a beautiful one called Becoming Wild by Carl Safina, and he goes into the cultures of these animals and how they take care of each other. And, you know, even in tribal times, the survival was based on taking care of yourself but also your community. Yeah. Why are we doing such a bad job of it? Do you think? I mean, I'm just sort of thinking, I mean, like, you're right. I mean, that that was a, a key thing that I can remember growing up, you know, you treat others as you as you would treat treat yourself. I mean, it's sort of, but, but when you look around the world, when you look at the world's problems, I mean, it's clear that, that something's going badly wrong on that front, isn't it? Yes, for sure. But that's also because we are taught to be competitive and competition is good because then we strive to be our best or to find the best product or whatever, but it's also uh, can become very, very negative force where we then we stop sharing and it becomes selfish and we become arrogant. And then, you know, then you, you, <laughs> you want more and more and more of it. So it, we, we haven't found the balance between uh, that deeply innate part of us, which is to care Oh, um, uh, versus this competitive competitive attitude that we're taught school days, sports <laughs> when we're doing sports, all all of these things, and and how much language in business is about is using sports analogies. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, competitive advantage, all all of that. But but presumably, I mean, it was interesting that you you, you use the word balance. So you're not saying either or. You're saying you need both. Do you? Yeah, balance is a really big thing that is out of whack in our modern day. Uh, we, we did a reboot at Reboot the Future. We did with a couple of uh, partners, a whole series of conversations in the first year of COVID uh, online in different sectors of the economy. So we, we did arts one and finance, education. And 
then that resulted in a whole list of values that we pulled out of these conversations. And one of them was that kept coming up all the time in all of these different sectors was balance. Mm-hmm. It was mm. really astonishing. Uh, we're just not in balance with nature, you know, urban, rural areas, the balance in our lives, the balance, you know, all the stress that we have in our society, in our jobs, and jobs are at, the, our, our corporations are asking people to behave in a way that is against their own val- set of values. So just all kinds of things. Our whole agricultural food system is out of balance. And I know. I'd add, I mean, you know, when I when I look at the lockdown list of guests that I've interviewed in the past, one of the biggest common themes is the ambition, the the real hope that a life in balance is is achievable. And I suppose that comes down to happiness and, and it comes back to a sense of what we are as, as people. And I but you mentioned parents, and I, I was interested that in, in your lockdown list, you you described your mum as, as your biggest inspiration because she loved so fully for 95 years and sprinkled happy dust on everyone that she met. Tell us about about her and how that inspired you and I guess your worldview today. Well, she was just a wonderful mother. We lost her a year ago. Sorry to hear that. That's okay. we, We were so grateful that we had her for so many years. She just, like I said, sprinkled happy dust in the letters that we received from people were all, everybody mentioned this about her. She just radiated joy and she loved everybody and was always eager and curious about everybody and appreciated everything and everyone. So that, that recently is a big goal of mine. I don't think I can ever live the same kind of joy she had, but it is definitely a goal of mine to be more joyous all the Mm. time. And that comes from a deep sense of gratitude for everything. Even in our darkest moments, there's always a silver lining somewhere. There's something that we can learn, some joy, some some spark that we can be grateful for. Do you find that there is a a technique because you know you have to dig deep to find to find that silver lining i think you know because when i mean not in every sense i'm thinking about you know we, we lost my my own sister-in-law to cancer and it was a it was a dreadful dreadful moment we're almost at the two-year anniversary and I, I still struggle with the sense of of the silver lining but i also love the fact that you know when when you talk about the three requirements for the golden rule they're empathy courage and action and i think that you know this this was my this was Lorraine, my sister-in-law, in, in as as a person, and you know how it affects people and how they can find the silver lining for those that want to do that, for those that want to search for it. What what's your advice to them in how to find it? Well, I, I think just the very fact that we are going through something and then we get out of it. We do get through it. We've learned something about ourselves. And we certainly have learned something about the person that, if in your case, what your sister went through. And I'm sure you you had a lot of observations and you got to know her, a side of her that you probably never saw. And I, uh, having lost my father and now my mother, I, I have their, their a little photo up on my screen, on my computer, on my, on my desktop. So I see them all the time. 
when mm-hmm. I, they're always there. You know, we have our memories, and I think we appreciate someone even more after they're gone. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a silver lining. That is a silver lining, a memory, I guess. The memory, is, and we, we remember more clearly why we loved them. And in, in that sense, I almost feel like my, my father was, was much more with me than when I was alive when he was still alive. I've, we lived far apart for a very long time, so I wasn't used to having him physically there. But I, I remember going through the process of what, what did I really love about my dad and what did I really love about my mom. And, and that just, uh, I carry that. That, that, mm. that doesn't go away. When, when you look at the world that we're, we're living in today, a, a world that has got huge stresses on it in terms of its own future from a planet and sustainability perspective, a world that has struggled with a pandemic and now a world which you know is 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 watching an, an an indescribable war in the ukraine it strikes me that a big part of your message for reboot the future does require hope and it does require a sense that we can create a better tomorrow. What, what sustains that when you look at not a hopeful world right now, but in some respects, a hopeless world in, in terms of a, a complete lack of hope on many fronts right now? Well, you're absolutely right. It is a really, really big challenge. My entire life, I have believed in the power of good to overcome evil. Mm. I have a very large sense of of infinite love. It's just all around us, you know, the old song, Love Makes the World Go Round. And I, I've always believed that. And I, 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 I don't think evil can last forever. I just really don't. It, it eventually self-destructs. The really unfortunate part that is that, you know, a few uh, rotten individuals can do an awful lot of damage in mm. Us. And, and that is just so painful to watch what especially is going on right now. Of course, everyone is guilty of the climate change, of the excesses that we've lived in, of, a, of an economic system that was based on extraction and exploitation. And that, that's, that's just been a huge systemic issue. And we all have to be part of that solution. It is a challenge, but I, I, I do want to hold firmly on to that. And there is still so much beauty I, I do believe in the power of nature to, I don't even think recovery is the same, is the right word, because we, we won't be able to go back. The world will not go back to the way it was. Mm-hmm. We're on this trajectory of enormous change, but nature just stays existing. It's always been, you know, since the first bacteria. <laughs> Well, I mean, I want to get on to imaginal cells, but before that, I suppose a lot of what you're saying is also about, I mean, you're right, nature endures, nature is there 24 hours of every day. I suppose as people, it's how do we connect with that? How do we find that deeper sense of of connection, which I know is a big part of of your theory of change, and indeed the kind of the imaginal cells. I mean, let's put, instead of me ruining the Ringing the description, why, Kim? Why don't you tell us about it and um, and uh, you know and, and and why it matters in in your view? The, the story of the imaginal cell. Yeah, sure. The, the metaphor, right? So the imaginal cell is really the innate cell in the caterpillar that holds the vision of the butterfly. And so for us, this whole transformation is is inspirational and and really directs what we do. So the caterpillar in his life 
eats and eats and gorges and gorges and over consumes like we have been over consuming. He goes into his cocoon and starts to decay. So <laughs> our world is really in this chaotic state right now. Out of this come this innate imaginal cell. This chaos actually activates this uh, cell. The imaginal cell is the correct uh, bi uh, biological pronunciation. So each of the there's several of these, and they have different identities. The leg, the antenna, the you know the the, the wing, whatever, and they they are become activated, and but the old way of doing things doesn't like it and starts attacking them. But the imaginal cells they emit a common frequency and they find each other and cluster to cluster, and then that the old way gives up, and then that allows the new way to actually develop and grow, and and then out comes this beautiful butterfly. So what what I see now going on is this this old way of doing things in conflict with this new way of doing things. And even though this golden rule has been around for centuries and millennia, actually, um, we have this technology now for everybody at the same time mm. to understand this as this beautiful basis for, for, for living, and which is unique. Technology has, uh, you know, been impeded us to all understand this at once. So we, are, we want to get you know, more and more people aware of this so that we can get to that tipping point. Well, I was going to ask also because you, you turned this theory into a book and it's been described as a thought-provoking anthology looking at how a compassionate approach to business politics and the environment can transform. I mean, some incredible essays, Al Gore, Mohammed Yunus, late Desmond Tutu, your, your husband, Paul Polman. What did you learn from that experience in terms of, I suppose, people that were traveling a similar road perhaps from different perspectives, but believed in the idea of good prevailing, that there were forces for good in the world. I'm interested in actually when you go through an experience like that, because I, I, I co-authored a book, Mission, is that it tends to change you, the very act of writing something. What, what did you learn about your ideas and yourself in, in, in the process of writing your own book? Oh, it was an incredible learning experience for me because I really had to delve into the golden rule and learn about it. I, I had grown up thinking, it was a Christian thing, but in fact, Jesus just copied, you know, from from Buddha and from from Confucius and all these others. And then Muhammad came later, and uh, you know, so it was it was uh, that that was really a revelation to me. And then we were working on this at the same time as the SDGs, and when they, the Sustainable Development Goals. Um, mm -hmm concluded in 2015 and it the point of the book really was to show that the golden rule was applicable not only to just human relationships and kindness and this kind of thing which is really important but it really applies to the issues so for example if if this issue of, of modern day slavery you know if you don't want to be a slave then how could you possibly have slaves in your supply chain mm -hmm. that's yeah. a basic example and and then indigenous cultures, you know, so many people nowadays in, in the modern world feel threatened by immigration and they think their culture is going to be um, diluted and, you know, their they're traditional ways threatened. Well, you know, immigration has been going on since day one. <laughs> but, 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 it's, but there does seem to be this thing about can we ever learn from history? I mean, how, how do we actually stop making our mistakes? Because I was thinking, you know, the sort of people that you worked with on the book, I mean, obviously they've lived highly successful lives and they have inspired new generations 
that are coming into ascendancy now, a new generation that meets in, you know, sort of, uh, we were talking about things like forums like One Young World and others, and hopes to get it right where others have got it wrong. How, How do you feel about the chances of a new generation to do something different, perhaps, than those that have gone before them? Well, we've certainly had a step back in uh, you know the recent invasion of Ukraine, and uh, I think it, the whole world is shocked that this is happening right now uh, in such a blatant way. One w- would have hoped that that kind of era would be over. But if you look at the whole history of mankind, if you read history, we really have progressed. Most you know, there's an individual right now who has not, but you know, there is there is this progression going back and forth, back and forth, but it's always more steps forward than back. So I, I'm part of this uh, uh, evolutionary leaders group who looks at evolution, ex- accepts you know the evolution of, of physical, our physical evolution, which has been going on for you know so many, 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 many years. But there's also been a spiritual evolution. You know, 200 years ago, we didn't have the Human Rights Declaration, the Declaration of Human Rights. And you know, we didn't have the United Nations with, it's, for all its problems, it has noble values and we're, we're a better world with the UN than without it. Um, there is pressure to, to not be that kind of way in any, anymore. And I, it's again, it's this old... Mm. Doing things that it, is combating with this new way. It's interesting because I, I mean, when when you talk about the kind of the steps forward, because I struggle with this, you know, this this sort of the idea of the improving force of history. I, I mean, I've read things like Hans Rosling's Factfulness, and you know, and and I buy the fact that there are good things that happen. So it's not a zero sum argument. But I suppose w- when I was younger, I I was very much on this idea that the the basic curve moves upwards. But now I struggle with it. I struggle with it in a day in a way that I certainly didn't when I was younger. And one of the things when I was reading about Reboot the Future was this idea about being good ancestors to future generations. I really love the, the kind of the, the mental picture of that because I, I'm not sure how our, how our ancestors stack up as, a, as the onward journey in terms of are we as good as we should be? And, and, I, and I think this is part of the, the struggle, isn't it, in terms of how we feel about the world right now and where it could and should be. Well, I think the very fact that we're asking this question, are we being good ancestors, gives hope because we, we aren't, but we are asking the question and we're striving to understand better how to behave and how to think long term. We are human. We are still living in this material world. I, I always think of, of us all living on, on a spectrum. On one side is, is the really monster, horrible person who, who feels no love at all. I don't believe there's as, as, as evil as some people are. I don't believe anybody is completely 100%. Mm. Then you've got the ones way on the on the other side that have reached nirvana. I mean, if they really have reached nirvana, they're probably not here in a physical body anymore. <laughs> so we're all on this spectrum. Mm. 
And we have a choice every day. Where are we going to be on that spectrum? We have a choice every day. Are we going to be the helpful person or the hurtful person? Are we going to be the one who shouts and screams? Or are we going to want to be the one that speaks junk? I love that. Are we we do have the choice, right? Are we going to be the intolerant one or the tolerant one? Are we going to be the selfish one or the generous one? Are we going to be the arrogant one? Are we going to be the humble one who who you know wants to embrace everybody and make everyone successful rather than it's it's funny when you say that i interviewed terry Waite a a while back and he was talking about his captivity which was that in the end he spent 23 out of 24 hours chained to a wall but he still saw life as a choice in terms of how his spirit would respond to that and i think that's very much on on that i mean you've been doing your own series of conversations though as well called good after covid19 and I suppose this, you know, the pandemic has been a major moment in the recent story of the planet. Some hope that it will herald the Great Reset, that things will be will be very different. And I suppose it'd be interesting to sort of get your views about what this particular moment has done to deliver the compassionate, equitable and sustainable future that I know you want to campaign for. Yeah, well, it's great that you mentioned those conversations good after COVID. I had uh, referred to them earlier. So they were nine conversations. We were really trying to capture at that moment what people were reflecting. It was just an exceptional time for the world to be reflecting on how we really want to be and what are our values and what what have we created here to come to this point and so what we're doing now as a result of those conversations we've captured these lessons where our next book is preserving these lessons and uh we've we've created as a result of these discussions of a kind of a manifesto that has 10 values we call it values for a life economy. And by a life economy, we mean the whole economic, social governance system that really promotes all of life. And so there are 10 principles, and it's really a fuller explanation of the golden rule. So we'll be, we'll, that's coming out in May. Mm. <laughs> And that's that's capturing these lessons. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish we could go through the ten, but if you were to, well, I don't think we've got time for it. But if you if you were to if you were to though to sort of give a, a taster though, in because you know it's interesting because you're right. I mean, it's a, it's a major moment in in the human experience. I think a lot of people worry that our memory will be very short lived and that actually it will be more of a return than a reset. If you were to sort of give a thought about how you see what comes next from, from this experience, what out of those 10, what would you share, do you think? Well, oh, so it's the very, very first one is love each other. <laughs> That's really the starting point. And then we go to loving the earth. We go to empowering youth, changing the educational system, to be more inclusive and more empowering, less competitive, more connected to the communities. Then we, we talk of one is about the life economy, producing a life economy where our, where our economy is not extractive and exploitative, but is is having all life thrive. So it, it's that kind of thing. And then, of course, working in partnership, we can collaboration is, was just a common theme that came out in all of these conversations. It's not about me, me, me. It's about us doing things together. Uh, we'll, we'll get a better 
better solutions that are 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 yeah that persist and help mm. more people. Well, well, let's move to your quote for life and tip for life to sort of lead out of the the interview. I'm I'm happy to, to read them out because unless you came, you want unless you've got them in front of you. But I, I, no, do you I want, don't. No, okay, right. Well, so your quote for life was. Let's, let's do them one at a time. But to work things out in a conflict, understand there is not one truth. Find what you have in common and don't make judgments. That seems pretty wise advice to me. Well, it's actually an advice I heard from in a speech from a, a negotiator <laughs> that works for the UN. And he gave that advice and I, I wrote it down at the time and I put it on on my wall by my my desk and i i think it's you know we're this whole judgment thing is really is really crucial to understand we we are taught to judge all the time we have to know right from wrong we have to choose the right partner we have to get the right job we have to hire the right people you know you have to pick the right food it's just constantly we're making judgments but you know a lot of times we don't need to make judgments Mm. No, I don't need to judge you how nicely you're asking the questions. You know, we're just having a good time here. I don't need to judge why someone believes that or says that or whatever. We are all who we are. It's so interesting. I love, I love that because you're right. You know, ju- judgment is what puts you on edge. Judgment is what, you know, as you say, like the circularity of a good conversation is not about the judgment of how well is the interview going. It's, well, you know, I suppose the only judgment is, am I enjoying myself? Yeah, but we, we just, oh, you know, we just it just gets in the way of our own peace because we become intolerant. We are really critical, you know, and, and some people are just do that all the time. And they're constantly judging other people. They're cynical. You know, what's your choice? Mm. Are you really happy being a cynical person? Or would, you rather, or would you rather be the one that's radiating ha- happiness and making other people happy? I don't know. It's a choice that I, I make. I once heard um, the idea of the cynic described as the energy vampire that actually it, it just sucks the goodness out of the room sucks the sucks the sort of like the optimism and positivity I mean let, let's finish Kim on on your on your tip for life because alas we're we're running out of time I wish we could go on but you said get a sense of the infinitude of love which is a resource for more patience forgiveness gratitude generosity and kindness for others and for all life. Your final thoughts, Kim? Yeah, I just have this sense of love uh, as being this infinite source. I tapped in a lot when I was raising my small children and I, I needed to find more patience. I needed to find new ways of speaking to them. And I just opened up my thought to love. I just wanted to express love. And I feel like, you know, once you open your thought, you get more, you're more creative, you're more patient, you're more tolerant. You do find the same, the right words. I just, I know so not, not everybody has that sense of the infinitude of love, but it's a really powerful feeling for me that I appreciate very much. Kim Palmer, what, what a special person you are. Thank you so much for joining me on Changemakers. Well, thank you, Michael, for having me. I've had a great time. <laughs> Changemakers is brought to you by the campaign's firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating?